1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behaviour excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free people, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honour all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. Amen. Let me pray for Steve as he comes to share with us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Steve, Lord. Thank you for the message that you've put on his heart for us this morning. I pray now you'd fill him afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that as he delivers to us what you've given him, Lord, may he be blessed in the giving and may we be strengthened and challenged in the receiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Anybody here like going abroad? Anybody here like going to other countries and different countries and seeing what it's like there? I remember going abroad when I was a child for the first time. I found it a strange place. I won't tell you where it was because I don't want to offend the Spanish people that are here. (laughs) But everything was so exotic. Everything was so different. And a lot of the things that they did were so strange and different to how they were done at home. Of course, I realise now that it was us that were the strange people for the ways that we do things when we're abroad, how we dress and how we eat their food. Um, how the fact that English people want chips with absolutely everything that we do when we go to certain countries. What do you want chips for? Okay, we'll give you chips. And how we just don't get on with the local practices and how we... How the English people think that everybody speaks English. You just need to shout loudly enough to get to the inner English within. And that's what we do. We just stand there and say, No! Chips! and hope they understand. But when we are in different places, there is this culture clash. We're in a place and we don't fit in. And everything is strange and everything is unusual and we stick out as unusual and we stick out as different. I remembered finding how interesting the Piccadilly line is. Joe here? 
this morning? No, Joe's not here. How interesting the Piccadilly line is for spotting Americans because you've got plenty of opportunity for spotting Americans as you come down the Piccadilly line and come through Holborn and come through Leicester Square and onto Gloucester Road and various other places in between. They struggle with so many of them and it's so obvious that they're from America because they can't pronounce Gloucester Road. Of course it's Gloucester. What else would it be? For those of us that know... And it's easy to spot people that aren't from our culture and are from somewhere else. In part, that's what 1 Peter is about. We're beginning a new section of 1 Peter this morning. The first part that we've been looking at has been mainly about who we are, what is our identity, who are we as believers in Jesus Christ. We are a holy priesthood, we are God's holy nation. We were looking at that just recently. That's who we are. Now there's beginning to be more of a shift to how we live our lives. How we live holy lives in the world where we find ourselves. And this is the first section looking at that. So as often happens, this picks up many of the themes that we'll be exploring for the next few weeks. Because that's often what happens in these passages. There's something that gives the overall impression and gives a a summary almost at the beginning for other people to pick that up. So we'll be coming back to these things, I'm sure, uh, over and over again in the next few weeks. But 11 to 17, these verses that we've read out, introduce these themes about what it means to live in a foreign place. What it means to live in a place where either we don't belong or we feel that we don't belong. And it does it through five commands, five instructions that are given in verse 11. I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh. So the first thing is abstaining from the desires of the flesh. We'll come back to these. Verse 12. Conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles. Verse 13. Accept the authority of every human institution. Verse 16. Uh, Live as free people. Then in verse 17. A whole string together. Honour everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God and honour the emperor. Probably the first one is a summary statement. The summary statement of honour everybody and then unpacking it in three different spheres. How do you honour everybody? Well, you love the family of believers. You fear God and you honour the emperor. That's the way that you do it. It's almost one command at the end. But there's this string of five commands that Peter gives. I think for us there are several ways that this impacts us and several themes that we can draw out from this and the first one is it helps us to be aware of where we're living and of the environment that we are living in this isn't a passage about evangelism primarily although it does talk about evangelism it's a passage that's primarily about how do we live somewhere where we don't belong How do we live in a culture where we don't feel part of that culture? How do we live in a place that isn't ours now that we know that we're part of God's holy nation? It is ours because we are, wherever they were, scattered over into the the Greek East. So they belong in that place. They've been born into that place. They've lived in that place all of their years. But suddenly they find that as followers of Jesus Christ, It's not theirs in the same way anymore. Does that make sense to you in in the experience of us in our lives? That we may well have lived in a place for years and yet suddenly we find that as a follower of Jesus Christ there's aspects of this world, aspects of our society, aspects of our life that we say aren't part of us anymore because I belong to God and I don't belong to this world. 
And there's this sense that how do we live in this world if we're not part of this world? Just the same as how do we live in this mysterious country that I'm refusing to tell you about if we're not actually part of this mysterious country when we go and visit it. It's about how do we live in an environment that can sometimes be hostile and certainly for the people that Peter's writing to, it was a hostile place to live. He describes them as aliens and exiles in verse 11. That's just how he starts the whole letter, if you remember. The whole letter begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, etc. These are people who are exiles, who are sent out into various other places, who've dispersed and are scattered across the world. Part of the lost tribes of Israel, as it were. You heard of the tribes talking about the lost tribes of Israel? Funny phrase, I never quite know why we talk about the lost tribes of Israel. Nobody had lost them. They knew exactly where they were. It's just that they were in a different place and scattered far away. Nobody had lost them. So I think, God, how careless that you've lost. We've lost ten tribes of Israel. How careless. It's not that they were lost, but it's that they were lost and that they weren't back home yet. Uh, They're in a place that wasn't home. And these are people who are scattered and living in a place that they feel they don't belong to. So much of the culture was alien to them. There was a different culture. Things felt different. The practices around them were different to the way that they would do things. People had different expectations to theirs. What culture was hoping would happen was different to what they were hoping would happen. How people did things was different to how they would do things. And that produced a few pressure points in their lives. Places where they did something in one way and the people in the society that they lived in did things in a completely different way. So they stick out, much as an American on the tube saying, shall we get off at Holborn? And it sticks out and it's quite obvious because they are not doing things in the way that the locals do. And one of the things that was prime about this was where you go to worship. And do they go to worship in the pagan temples that the others go and worship in? Of course you don't go and worship a pagan god. Of course you don't go and worship the Roman emperor. Of course you don't go and worship whatever the local deity is. Because we worship the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't go and worship the others. And yet it's perhaps hard for us to get our heads around because nothing compared to what was happening in the temples of those days. That was the place for gathering together. That was the place for meeting people constantly. You would go to that temple for the the service of, of worship and sacrifices and stay around for a lunch and hang around to use the baths and the prostitutes and whatever else was on offer there. You'd make business deals there. You would, people would associate with you there. If you were a butcher, then people would be coming to you to buy your meat. And if you were a baker, they'd come to you for that. And if you were a um, candlestick maker, they'd come to you for that as well. So if you weren't part of that community, you were missing out on all of the networking and all of the social life and everything that goes with it. You were an alien and outside of the cultural expectations. Does that make sense? You're not doing things in the way that they should be done. And you're sticking out, quite obviously, by doing that. There's also all sorts of other things that would have happened. But that led, in various places, to certain degrees of persecution that came, across the, came against the church. Sometimes it was subtle. Sometimes it was just that, ooh, they don't go to the temple. Sometimes it's a little bit more along the lines of, I am not going to your shop because you don't go and worship Aphrodite. And we'll boycott your business. 
and the people don't attend your business anymore, don't use you anymore for whatever it is that you do. You're a chimney sweep. They're not going to use you as a chimney sweep anymore because you don't go to the temple. And there's economic persecution. And sometimes it's outright persecution. Sometimes it's grabbing hold of people and putting them in prison and killing them. And a whole spectrum of what this persecution looked like. It wasn't an easy place to live. We read in verse 12 that it talks about the conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles so that although they malign you as evildoers. So that's the environment that we're living in. The Gentiles are maligning us as evildoers. Verse 15 refers to, uh, for it is God's will that by doing um, right you would silence the ignorance of the foolish. So there's constant stuff that's being said. Constant environment of negativity and of pressure that is coming upon people. And the temptation is to do one of two things in that environment. The temptation is either to go overboard in aggressive, aggressive antagonism of the overlying culture. Sometimes that's passive. It's just, I'm refusing to do this and I'm making a point. Sometimes it can be quite violent and taking up arms in order to overthrow the surrounding culture because we're right, they're wrong. We've got to push against it all the time. So there's a temptation to do that. The more common temptation is to kind of hide and kind of look like you're one of their culture and occasionally pop your head around. But look at me, I'm just like the rest of you. I, I, I wasn't in Temple on Saturday because we were playing football. They were playing football, that's why I wasn't there. Uh, sorry, but we'll be there next week, you know, that kind of stuff. And to try and hide, we all know what that's like. Trying to look like everybody else's, even though we think we, so an American on the tube going, let's get off at the next stop. <laughs> so that you don't stick out and it's not obvious. Neither of those are acceptable. As Christians, we need to be people that live for Jesus Christ and honour him in all that we do. Our society is different. Our society is different to their society. And yet, over the last few decades, things have been changing in Western society. A hundred years ago, Western society was a Christian society and going to church was part of the norm and a Judeo-Christian background to how things were. There was a lot of commonality between what we would do, say, in the church and what society would say. Okay, there were some disagreements in various places, uh, but on the whole, society in the church. And to say to people, we need to behave righteously, people would go, yes, we should be following the Ten Commandments, I just choose not to. But the Ten Commandments are the things that we should follow, as it were. But society's been changing. And there's no longer a Judeo-Christian background to society. And there's a, an increasing secularist uh, background to what's happening in society. Most people don't go to church. At least a couple of genera or generations or so ago, most people didn't go to church, but their mums and dads did, and they used to when they were children. So they've got a knowledge of what the church is like. But now we're at a place where people don't go to church and their mums and dads didn't go to church and their mums and dads didn't go to church or probably went to church when they were children. So there's no cultural memory of what the church is about and what Christian truth is. And there's a deliberate desire to move things away from this because there's a pushing against power structures and the church is deemed to be one of the power structures of the Western world and we've got to push against that power structure. So in many respects, I'm sure, you know, this is, you don't need to go on about all of this. I think we all have noticed the shifts that there are in society. Uh, but 
it's now more difficult to be a Christian than it was 20 years ago. And to say you're a Christian in the workplace is more difficult than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and the, the, the thought of uh, speaking out in the workplace might have been a difficult thing to do 20 years ago, but just the very fact that you are a Christian and people worried that you might speak out in the workplace now is an issue. And it's becoming more of a hostile place to live. So it's more similar to how it was for the people in the epistles like in 1 Peter. So that's the first thing for us to realise, is where we live. To realise that we live in a society that is not a Christian society, whatever that may mean, whatever the benefits and lack of benefits of that may be, that's where we live and that's where we find ourselves. And to realise that this is a place where we are not at home and we are aliens and strangers within it. Does that make sense? So what do we do? Well, firstly, there's the idea that how we interact with our local culture. How do we interact with contemporary culture? Peter writes and says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles. So he's saying to them... You are aliens and exiles because you don't believe. You are literally exiles. You're literally not in the homeland. You're literally not in Palestine. You're somewhere else. You're expats. You're literally expats and you know that you're expats. To us, metaphorically, it's live as if you are aliens and exiles. You may be a hundredth generation living in Catford. You know, back generation before Catford was Catford, your family's been living in Catford. You're still an alien and an exile in Catford because things are changing and things are moving. So as aliens and exiles live in that place, realise that we don't belong. And when you're a foreigner in a place, sometimes you choose not to do something because you know that it's something that you don't want to do. You look at that food and you go, no. <laughs> just, just no. Food shouldn't move on the plate. I'm not eating that. Sometimes you don't do things because you're not permitted to do them. Locals only, I'm afraid, you're not permitted to come into this place. That's not for you. You can't come here. Not allowed. And sometimes those things stand out. We don't belong in a place. So the first two commands that Peter issues are what not to do and what we should do. Firstly, he tells us to live righteously. He tells us to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. There are things. I don't need to explain this, do I? I think we all know that there are places within our own lives where there is something based within us that pulls in a direction that we don't want to go. There are appetites that we have within our own bodies that pull us to a place that we don't want to be in. There are things that we end up doing at a point when we're tired or when we're stressed or when we need a bit of comfort or just when we're feeling a bit rebellious that we go to. And they wage war against us and they try and pull us down and they try and lead us into a place of separateness from where God is and what God wants us to be like. There's these inner impulses that if we give them a little bit of breathing space, if we give them a little bit of attention, will rise up and pull us to a place we don't want to go their sexual desires and that's probably the primary thing that he's talking about and the primary thing for uh, our world today probably but there's other uncurbed human desires there's desire for acceptance there's the self-narrative that we sometimes tell ourselves of the way that we soothe ourselves by telling us things about ourselves 
make ourselves perversely feel better by telling us that we're no good. Perversely make ourselves feel better by telling us that I'm nothing in this place. There's other pressures that come upon us for all the other appetites that are associated with the human, uh, with the human body, for food, for things. Sometimes we buy into the world's culture that tells us, do you know, you really will be absolutely brilliant and fantastic and successful and loved by everybody. Everyone will look at you when you walk in the room and think how brilliant you are and you genuinely will be the most stunning and amazing person you could ever be if you wear this perfume. How ridiculous is that? But that's what the advert tells us. You put that perfume on and you will be the best person and brimming with confidence that you could ever be. And we buy into that. Literally, we buy into that. We all do in different ways. And culture finds certain things acceptable. And the more we immerse ourselves in culture, the more we take on board that these things are acceptable because everyone does it, don't they? That's why lock- Well, one of the reasons why lockdown was so pernicious because we'd spend more time immersing ourselves in what was available and what was available was coming from culture and then we immerse ourselves in that and the more we I'm not saying that watching Netflix is bad of course watching Netflix isn't bad but the more you watch Netflix the more these things are coming upon you and if you're not praying about it and aware of it you don't see the normality of culture coming in and what's on the television and what we read in the newspapers and what we see all around us advertising as, as people say about advertising, what it does is it, it takes away our dignity and sells it back to us at the price of the product. That's basically what it does. You aren't anything unless you buy this. We have dignity before. You know, what do we need that? To, but advertising makes us believe that. And it, it's powerful stuff. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. So it works. There's what the world does in terms of magnifying our disgruntlement and our unhappiness about things. The internet is a poisonous place for that. If you're upset about something and wound up about something, you will always find somebody else who's just as upset and wound up or more than you are, and you can enter into a dialogue with them, even if you don't write back to them by reading what they say and taking on board what they say, and then you become more dissatisfied, more disgruntled, and it feeds into the flesh. And Peter is saying we need to resist those things. Why? Because they war against us. There's opposition that comes from people, there's opposition that comes from within, and this comes from within. So we need to notice where the flesh pulls at us. Maybe after the sermon we should spend a little bit of time just praying and ask the Lord to show us some of these things. Notice where the flesh pulls us. Notice where we are vulnerable. Is there a place where... I am more vulnerable than at other places. a time when I'm more vulnerable than at other times. And how do we remove the influence of the world that's upon us? How do we be careful what we watch, what we read, what we think, who we talk to, so that when we're doing those things, we're on guard and careful and guarding our hearts? Does that make sense? Second thing, more positively, he tells us to conduct ourselves honourably. Verse 12. Conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles, so though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honourable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But although this passage, as I said, is not primarily about evangelism, in the end, the way that we live our lives honourably and Christ-likely is evangelistic. 
if we seek to live our lives in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ and that does what he calls us to do, to being a member of his community, so that the passport in our, po- in our pocket doesn't say United Kingdom, it says God's holy nation. That's who I belong to. If we live according to the law of God's holy nation, if we live according to the way that God does things, as Roger always says, if you're going to live in God's world, live in it his way. Live in it God's way. If we live God's way in the world, then that becomes attractive to people and they see that and it challenges them. And they begin to respond to it and begin to think, yeah, I want a bit of that. I want a bit of that. I want to be that person when everybody else is disgruntled around, rises above that disgruntlement and refuses to get pulled into it. I want to be that person who has that sense of inner peace and that inner peace that comes from Jesus Christ that helps them not to get drawn into all of these debates and all of this anger. I want to be that person. That's probably why he told them, in part, about resisting the pressures of the flesh. Something that was held in high esteem, even amongst pagan cultures, was people who had self-restraint. People who had self-restraint and the ability to moderate themselves were highly regarded, even in the pagan religions that were around. A man or a woman that could moderate their behaviour and had control of themselves was admired. So telling Christians to do that will seek the admiration of others around them. And it's interesting to meditate on our culture and what it is that our culture thinks is good, that we also think is good. You can imagine sort of overlapping spheres of a culture. If we perhaps draw a circle around Forest Hill that incorporates the church, around that border there, around all the way down in Forest Hill, that's what the church thinks is good. This is good behaviour, that Jesus says is good behaviour, and the ways that we should behave, and the things that we should do, what's right and uh, the right way to behave, is all the stuff that's incorporated in that, right down to Forest Hill. Let's, sorry to be biased against Sydenham, but let's imagine a, a line that goes from here, in Sydenham, that goes right around that wall of the church, and all the way up around Sydenham and back round again, that's the things that the world says are honourable, the good ways to behave and the good things that you should do in the world. There's this small section in the middle, maybe it's not small, maybe it's big, but there's this section in the middle where we're all sitting, which is things that the world thinks are good and the church also thinks are good. Does that make sense? Both of us think those are good things. Interesting to think, what are things in our world that the world thinks are good that we also think are good? In Peter's day, it was being a person who has the ability to restrain their passions. I'm not entirely sure that the world would regard that as a good thing, actually. I think it would call you repressed if you did that and say, that belongs over there. That's a churchy thing to do. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's honourable and that's not going to want to make me follow your God. But I think behaving with integrity is something that people admire. I think behaving with integrity, behaving true to yourself and true to who you are and true to what your religion is, people in the world can look at that and say, that is good. So I'm not saying we just do the things that are found in the Bonhoeffer church, just found in this place here that are in the overlaps, but those are the things that the world is going to look at and be impressed with. And I think it's sometimes helpful to think about those things, to be especially on guard in those particular areas as we want to be people who are behaving honourably in order to draw others in, that there's this interface between the two where they will look And then they're going to look at those things and they're going to begin to say, do you know what? Behaving in a way that you Christians behave over that, I'd never have seen that as honourable before, but now I can begin to see that that is honourable. I can begin to see that that's the right way to be. I can begin to see that you've got something good to say about that too and I want to step over into that. Does that make some sense? So it's doing things in a way that blesses 
the world in a way that is honourable. Something that might be worth a bit of meditation on, maybe to talk about in house groups and stuff, you know, what are the particular things that we can, we can seek in ways that the world will look at and how we articulate what our faith is? Because when you do things, you're then speaking out about them and there's ways of speaking that the world will understand and there's ways of speaking that the world won't understand. And if we're articulating in a way that the world will understand, then it speaks more powerfully into them and grabs hold of people's hearts and minds and imaginations. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, not, it's not denying the gospel, it's just the way that we explain it. The final thing I wanted to talk about was living under power structures. So it's not just recognising how we work within culture, it's the power structures that exist within society. Because there is power in society. Verse 13 onwards, For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme, or of governors as sent by him, to punish those who do wrong, and to praise those who do right. Governments have a lot of power. The political decisions that governments and powers make have a huge impact upon all of us. Think about the decisions that governments making or not making, depending on which side of the political aisle you stand on, about the cost of living crisis at the moment. Think about the effects of Brexit, depending on which side of the aisle you sit upon that, but that's had a huge effect upon where we are, or it hasn't, depending on which side of the aisle you sit on on that. Think about the issues that are happening in Northern Ireland at the moment. Those issues are incredibly significant. And government has a huge power to affect many people's lives and the decisions that it makes. Government and power is important. Think about what's happening in the United States at the moment on Roe versus Wade uh, and the ways that the abortion laws are being changed. The effect that that's having on many, many people by power structures changing things and, and putting things into place. Think about the things that are happening in this country about assisted suicide and the way that the, the law systems, again, are pushing to think if that should be made legal. That has a huge effect upon people. So governments have power. Is government godly? Well, the New Testament has different voices on this in different places. Some places the New Testament says, as it seems to say here, look to, look to the powers and, and push yourselves under them. There's other places where the New Testament is a lot more blunt and says... A lot of the things that happen in the powers is evil and is wrong. Read the book of Revelation, for starters, as a place that bluntly points to the Roman Empire and says, the Roman Empire, there is evil that comes out of that direction. So it's a nuanced discussion. It's a nuanced um, balance here. But he is saying, for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of how you live in society, for the sake of serving our Lord, accept the authority of human institutions. So it's not saying all government is right. Clearly, all government can't be right. The Labour Party and the Conservative Party disagree on so many things. They can't both be right. So whichever one is in power is not, it cannot by definition be right about everything, because they can't. They can be right about some things and wrong about some things. It's just by the nature of disagreement and ways of doing things. Nor is it saying that the emperor is God-given, that God has given us this emperor. No, it's saying that all humans are special. When it says, for the sake of the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or as governors and sent by him to punish those, we sometimes read that as sent by God to punish those, and that's how we read it. 
For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme, or of governors as sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. Actually, the other way of reading this is the hymn is pointing back to the emperor. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme, or of governors as sent by the emperor to punish. So it's not necessarily that God has placed all of these particular structures that any society finds themselves in as ordained by God. But it is saying live under them as part of the society and part of the way that they are. And we should do good. For it is the Lord's will, verse 15, that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. What is doing right? What is behaving well? It's behaving in a pure way. It's resisting sin, the things we've talked about. It's acting righteously. It's basically being nice if you excuse such a bland way of putting it but actually I think there's a little bit more to it on this Bruce Winter has written about this back in the 1980s and I think he's onto something he touches into the way that this is written and talking about it as being the, seeking the welfare of the city and seeing this is perhaps a technical term to talk about behaving in an honourable way is actually seeking the welfare of the city and doing things that are for the good of the structures and powers that are in place and contributing to, to communal life, contributing to civic life, com- contributing to the life of the world and the life of the culture in a positive way. The Roman world was very much built on this. The Roman world was built on individuals giving into society. It was built on a powerful businessman giving a huge amount of money to establish a library in the centre of the city or to establish a temple in the centre of the city. Why did he do that? Well, because it did him no end of good in terms of his reputation, did him no end of good in terms of his business and I'm sure he got far more money back than the money that he gave but he would give it and then it was, oh great Gaius the benefactor of our library. And this benefaction, this giving of things, this giving money and giving space and time to hold the games, the giving things for other people. I don't need to go on and on about that. But Peter seems to be encouraging us as Christians to be people who give in to society in a positive way. Don't withdraw from it, but give to it in a positive way so that we're contributing to society and blessing it. Seeking ways to bless people. Seeking ways and thinking, just as we seek to do, how can we bless people in Forest Hill? How can we bless the communities in Forest Hill? What are the council not doing in this local estate that we could do in this local estate? Seeking ways to input, even on a political level. Seeking ways of contributing to the civic life. Seeking ways of helping council to do things. Becoming a volunteer group who can do things. Many Christian groups do this with food banks, etc., seeking ways to contribute, not being Christians who run away and come into a Christian ghetto and say what we need to do is evangelism in terms of, in terms of guerrilla warfare, in terms of we're in our little camp here, that's the world over there and every now and again we're going to go out and in camouflage gear, quietly and do a little bit of evangelism in enemy territory and then run back to where it's safe. But to be those who come into the world and say we're going to be blessing this place. And we want to get involved here. How can we get involved here with this particular issue in the, in the local town centre? How can we get involved in this place? What's, what's the issue that's happening in this local town centre? Let us help that. This school needs a school governor. Let me volunteer to be a school governor in this place to bless that local school so that I can speak into it in Jesus' name and to be people that are seeking to build things up and to bless things. So it's not just recognising that we are men and women who don't belong here. 
because we don't. We don't belong here. We belong to God's holy nation. And recognising that there will be pressure points that come against us. It's not just being those who decide therefore to live according to the, the law of God's holy nation and live according to the way that God wants us to do things and guard our heart against the flesh and live righteously. But it's also those who live a righteous life in order for others to look at us and go, that is a righteous life, that I want a bit of that. And it goes beyond that. It's to be those who say, I'm going to contribute positively to this culture and put into it in the Jesus way and put into it because if I don't put into it, who's going to look after the vulnerable? If I don't put into it, who's going to look after me? And actually, just to say something, I was talking about what's the overlap between what the culture thinks is good and what we think is good. Caring for the vulnerable is one of those things. And as we're pouring in blessing in that way, then society will look at us and say, I want a bit of that. But the reason we do it is not for society to look at it and go, I want a bit of that. The reason we do it is because we want God to bless people. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I know some of us are finding it very hard with pressures that are upon us at the moment as we make a stand for our Christian faith in the places where we are. And I pray for those who have faced pressures at work and pressures in family and pressures in their local community because of the stand that they are taking for Jesus over something. I pray that you would draw close to them and give them strength and give them help. Pray for each of us, Lord, that you would show us how we can live righteously and Christianly, rightly and appropriately against the pressures of the flesh that press in against us. And Lord, I pray that over this next week, would you for each of us, for me and for each of us, would you show us places where the flesh presses in against us and places where we are vulnerable, places where we give in, places where we are pressured to give in. Would you show us, Lord, places that we need your help in. We don't always notice these places, Lord, and would you give us that awareness and that vision to see those places, and would you come and give us strength and help to stand firm against the desires of the flesh this coming week. And Lord, I pray that you would keep showing us as a church and as individuals ways that we can pour into into Lewisham, into Forest Hill, into Sydenham, into the local area into the country, into the nation, for its blessing, because we want it to be blessed in Jesus' name. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.